while you're turning to Genesis chapter 2, I wanted to uh, say thanks for everybody who helped participate in the Walk for Life, the support of our local Pregnancy Help Center, both those who help collect monies and those who help contribute. Um, I think we had like five out of the top six fundraisers or something like that, so it was really, really encouraging to see. So, Genesis chapter 2, as Pastor Dale read, I will read as well, verse 18 to 24. For those who are visiting with us, we're taking a little bit of a break from the book of Leviticus. Um, thought this occasion of Mother's Day might be, along with the elders, a time to kind of go back to the basics of what it means to be a mother. Um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then Yahweh said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So Yahweh caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and He slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And Yahweh God fashioned the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this one is finally, this one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's ancient holy word. Let's ask him for help. O Lord, we confess that we are an easily distracted people, and we need your help by your Spirit to settle our hearts before you, to take the posture of Mary, to sit at your feet and listen to what your word says. I pray that you would grant us humility and teachableness, Lord, as truly these, this ancient word runs contrary to so much of what we've been taught by the world But, Lord, we confess that you know best. And so, Lord, teach us and instruct us in your holy way. I pray also for those who are still strangers of grace. Lord, may they find your grace, mercy, and forgiveness in the cross this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In case you have not noticed, we are witnessing the collapse of our civilization one of the reasons why I say that is because one of the foundations of any civilization is the family. And the family is under and has been under direct assault for many decades in our culture. So much so that uh, there's men who try to 
act like they're women. There's women who inject themselves with male hormones, even having facial hair, and then give birth to a child. And we're told that man gives birth to a child. But the reality is, is that someone's giving birth, it's not a man, okay? We live in a culture in which uh, we don't talk about mothers anymore. We talk about birthing persons. We have a justice sitting on the Supreme Court when asked, what is a woman refuses to define a woman. And so we thought it prudent to take opportunity this Mother's Day, perhaps more than any Mother's Day, we need to celebrate motherhood and go back to the basics. I think it was uh, the legendary football coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, who said, men... This is a football. Coaches often go back to the basics because it's important. Because you never really go beyond those fundamentals in any sport. And also when it comes to life. And so we need to go back to what I'm calling the fundamentals of femininity. Now, as I was sending the title of this message to Patsy who does the bulletins, uh, I, I almost had a heart attack when I realized it evidently autocorrected when I was typing it out and said the fundamentals of feminism. <laughs> I said, wait, Patsy, don't print it, please. The fundamentals of femininity. Now, that's a mouthful. Uh, but what we're talking about is going back to womanhood and going back to uh, the beginning the original pages of the Bible where God lays the groundwork for what is a man and what is a woman. And so, for the rest of our time this morning, on Mother's Day 2023, we will talk about three fundamentals of femininity so that we could, in the context of our sphere, put into practice what God has laid out in His Word. The first, I think, we'll see from Genesis is a commitment to family. Notice in Genesis 2.18 and following, it says, Then Yahweh God, Yahweh being the proper name of God, some of our translations, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's that covenant name of God. Then Yahweh said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, we live in a culture that is uh, kind of obsessed with talk therapy and emotions. And so often we import all of that into a passage like this. And we look at this and we say, oh, poor Adam, he was lonely and he needed a companion. And so God created a companion for him. Now, Adam may have been lonely, I don't know. But the text doesn't actually speak of Adam's emotional state at the time. It talks about him being not lonely, but alone. He was alone. He was solo. He was single. He was by himself. And God looks at the situation, and this is his first 
malediction on the creation. Because if you remember, if we go back to chapter 1, there's a refrain over and over in chapter 1, after day 1, day 2, where it says, and it was good, right? It was good, it was good. And then it's all summarized in Genesis 1.31 when it, it, it says that God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. Very good. It's almost like God taking great pleasure as he looks upon his creation and he says, this is very good. But as in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 2, and in, in some people in silly ways talk about, well, we have two creation accounts here, Genesis 1 and, and different creation accounts. Gen- That's not what's going on here. And, and anybody who says that is utterly ignorant of ancient literature where often later on in the narrative, it, it kind of blows up the narrative and expands and explains more about what was stated previously. And, and you see Moses does this actually throughout the book of Genesis where something will be stated and then he will, the next chapter, explain that more fully. And so what we have here is, is God through Moses expanding upon day six giving us the details of day six and the creation of man and woman when it says in Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And so this is what we have here in Genesis 2, an expansion of that, an elaboration of that. And so when God looks on day six as to the situation and looks at man and his soloness, his singleness, his being alone by himself, he says, this is not good. It's not good for a couple of reasons. Because if you remember in Genesis 1, 27, or I'm sorry, 28, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It is impossible for Adam to fulfill that mandate to be fruitful and multiply all by himself. And so God looks at the situation and says, it's incomplete. It's not proper. It's not good. And I would also say uh, that he needed assistance in the other tasks and carrying out the responsibilities in the garden and exercising the dominion that God commands over here. So it, it, was, it was important for God to create out of Adam a suitable helper, as it's described here. Verse 19. <clears throat> and so, this is what God does in verse 19. And out of the ground, Yahweh had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. So God summons all these different creatures to come to Adam, for Adam to see and observe these different animals, birds, and, 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 and animals that walk on all fours. And Adam was given the responsibility of naming each of these animals. And as when you read through the book of Genesis and the Bible in general, names have significance, right? When, when God changes Jacob's name to Israel, there's significance, there's meaning there. When God changes Abram's name to Abraham, there's significance there. 
And so Adam would have been naming each of these creatures and there would have been significance in the naming of those. It wasn't just because, well, this, this sounds good. It really rolls off the tongue. Also, this was part of Adam's exercise of dominion over the creation. Him naming, uh, just like, uh, in a sense, you exercise leadership in your family when you name that next child, uh, so it is also when Adam is naming these creatures. He's exercising his authority over the creation. But then notice, as the text goes on, in verse 20, And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So now we begin to see that that some of the method behind God's madness, if you will, here. Uh, Some of his purpose in bringing all these different creatures to Adam was for him to name them, but for also for him to observe each of these creatures and to conclude out of all of it, I don't have a suitable helper. He would have seen male and female goats. And he names them and he looks at them and says, okay. And then he'd see male and female dogs, male and female cats. Male male and female tigers. Male and female birds. But he looks at his situation and he sees there is not a helper corresponding to me. There is not a suitable helper here. And so in a sense, God is helping Adam to see what he already sees, what God himself already sees, namely that that it's, it's incomplete. That something is not good here. Something is not proper here. So verse 21. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. So God gives some divine anesthesia to Adam and he's put to sleep and God then reaches into the side of Adam in verse 22 Yahweh God fashioned the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman and he brought her to the man so God putting Adam to sleep creates Someone out of Adam's side. And then he brings her to Adam. So evidently Adam wakes up from this slumber, wipes the crust out of his eyes, rubs his eyes, and sees what God has made. In verse 23, then the man said... This one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so we can see as as most of the translations indent this section, it, it, it comes across as poetry. You know, as someone has said that 
God made the first woman and man began writing poetry and he's been doing it ever since, writing love letter poetries to women. But there's clearly excitement here. He's excited, he's pleased about what God has made because he realizes that that this is a suitable partner because she's taken out of him bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She's like him, but not exactly like him. She's not the same as him, but she's corresponding to him. And so... Adam is pleased with what God has made here. In fact, in the Hebrew, it reads hubba hubba. (laughs) He's excited about what God has made. He's pleased with God's handiwork. But then notice Moses' interpretation of this in verse 24. Therefore, Here's the conclusion of this. In other words, Moses is going to tell us this isn't just some kind of nifty story about how things began. Herein is application for family, for civilization. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What God through Moses is saying here is herein is a pattern for which all marriages are to imitate or follow after from here on out. That the pattern is that there is a impermanent relationship in the family, namely children, in the sense that they are on their way out. And they are on their way out and they will leave underneath the authority of parents and they will get married and join and and create their own family unit. And so herein is God's design that God creates a woman out of man for that woman to be committed to the family unit. We say, well, I mean... We're talking about the fundamentals of femininity here. Aren't men supposed to be committed to their families? Of course. But not in the same way. Not in exactly the same way that there are unique features to a woman's commitment to the family. I mean, even you think about parenting and God's infinite wisdom in giving husband and wife, male and female. Some of you fathers can... Attest to, you know, sometimes there's a different way, a different approach that your wife may have than you have when it comes to parenting. You know, you see your boys and you know that these are future men. And you don't want your boy to grow up to be a sissy boy, okay? And so you tend to give a little bit more toughness, right? Whereas a woman may tend more towards a little bit more babying the boy. And, and, and you need both of those perspectives to contribute to the family. And so the first fundamental of femininity is a commitment to the family. 
We see this also in the New Testament. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Paul, uh, through Titus, is exhorting Titus to instruct the church at Crete when he says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good... And then, so, so notice he's instructing the older women. And then in verse 4, these older women, so that they may instruct the young women to be sensible, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be slandered. So notice what God's instructions through Paul to Titus are for the older women to come alongside the younger women and help them in their devotion and commitment to the family, to help them to love their husbands, to help them to love their children, to help them to be workers in the home, to help them to be involved in that family, to be committed to that family. To be sure, in our culture, the feminist movement, you know, has, has tried to uphold the, the model of true womanhood is to be the career woman, to go into the workplace and to excel and to climb to the top of the ladder. And so as someone has said, the, the industrial revolution took fathers out of the home and the feminist movement took Mother's out of the home and now ain't nobody home. Or something like that. Now, am I saying that there's never a place for a woman to be working outside the home? I'm not saying that. Each situation is unique and different. But what I am saying and what I am pushing for and what I believe God's word communicates is that part of womanhood is this commitment and devotion to the family. That is high priority. Commitment to the order of the home. A commitment to the rearing of children. And I understand. Well, I'll save this for the next point. Moving on from here. Commitment to fruitfulness. Commitment to fruitfulness. Again, when we go back to What God said here, he said, is not good for man to be alone. And we mentioned Genesis 1.28. I'll read it again. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. So God blesses. Adam and Eve, and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. It is a summons to be fruitful. Which, in case I have to spell it out for you, it means have some babies. Now, one caveat here. The passage does not say, 
have as many babies as humanly possible. But the instruction is clear. And it's no wonder that when Adam and Eve do rebel against their creator, that the consequences that each of them reap because of their disobedience has to do with their primary functions in carrying out the mandates that God has given. Uh, What I mean by that, namely, Adam's mandate was to work the garden, to exercise dominion over the creation. And so what is the consequence of his rebellion? It's almost like God saying, okay, you didn't didn't want to obey me. You had this work over here. Now it's going to become more difficult. You're still supposed to do it. But it's going to become more difficult. And so in Genesis 3.17 and 18, God speaking to Adam after they had eaten from the forbidden fruit, he sa- it says then, he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have not eaten from, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. God's saying to Adam, okay, your primary responsibility was working the garden. Now, now it's going to be hard. Now you're going to have to pull weeds. Now it's going to be difficult. So then... Again, notice what he says to the woman in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and conception. In pain, you will bear children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So two different areas where we see God making life more difficult are one, when it comes to birthing children, And number two, in the role relationship between husband and wife. That there's going to be a conflict because of the rebellion. And so to me, that signifies and highlights that that these were kind of the two primary spheres in which Adam and Eve were to carry out these mandates. And yet they, they become tainted and affected by the rebellion that they chose. We may say, well, okay, this is back in Genesis. Is there anything, you know, in the new, new covenant that would be suggestive that this is an ongoing call for women? Well, I'm glad you asked. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. In the context of Paul giving instructions to Timothy about certain women who are widows, whether they could be put on the widows list. The widow's list was evidently a kind of group of women who were like super servants in the church who were supported financially by the church. And so some questions come up as to whether a woman who's widowed and still young, whether she should be put on the list. And Paul's instructions are clear. In verse 14, he says, Therefore, I want younger widows... To get married, bear children, keep house, 
give the enemy no opportunity for reviling, for some have already turned aside after Satan. So it would seem to me the inspired pen of the Apostle Paul makes it clear that this is still part of God's design for womanhood. That this is part of what it means to be a woman. And ponder it with me for a moment. The the amazing wisdom of God in this. That a woman can carry another human being inside their body for some nine months. And this other human being is growing and developing and maturing in such a way that this mother can feel the movements of this human being inside her. And then she delivers this human being who comes into this world. And wonder of wonders, she's able to feed this human being with her own body. In a former life, I was a registered nurse. And one of the most memorable semesters I ever had was the mother-baby semester for various reasons. But one of the amazing and fascinating things was being able to study the physiology of a woman and all the intricacies of what God the Almighty does in making that woman able to be able to carry a child. I mean, all the different hormones that get secreted that make the elasticity of her vessels more so that she could carry more blood and fluids for the baby and all, just all the wonders of all that God designed in a woman for her to be able to carry that out is absolutely amazing. It would cause me to sit and wonder and just hold my hand over my mouth at God and His infinite wisdom. Now, I understand not everybody has opportunity to read a nursing textbook, but it is a wonderful thing. It is a beautiful thing, but it's not mere biology. I mean, there is something that takes place there in that woman carrying that child for all those months, a kind of bond that takes place, a kind of affection that that mother has for her child that goes beyond biology. And there's something in the wonders of the way in which God designed that woman, her constitution and her character and all that to be able to care for that child, again, in unique ways that fathers just don't have it nor get it. And this is a good thing. This is part of womanhood. And I celebrate motherhood. It is a beautiful thing in God's infinite wisdom. And I honor you mothers and all your work and effort. Your sacrifice in 
carrying that child for, you know, nine months. Your sacrifice and, and all the rearing and the endless laundry that you do. The diapers that you change. The constant meals that you provide and all that's involved in that. And I want to encourage you, it is a good work. I know that it is wearisome. I see the looks on some of your faces this morning. You need a nap. And maybe that's the best Mother's Day gift you can get, is a nap. And I also understand that there is some caveating that needs to go on here. Statistically, roughly 20% of women will not, for whatever reason, have children. And as one who, with my wife, experienced almost six years of not being able to have a child. And then, when finally able to have a child, she almost dies in the process of that. And so, and I believe that that is part of the reality of Genesis 3 that we saw here, that there will be pain in childbearing that that is part of the pain is the reality of infertility women who get married and who are unable to have children but also sometimes women who would have aspired and desired to get married but in whatever re- for whatever reason in God's providence that's not what God had for them does that make you less of a woman no But just because we live in a world where sometimes that doesn't happen, again, doesn't mean that you cannot, in in some ways, contribute to the development even of children, even if they're not your own children. For instance, one of the things that, not that we're the example or standard, but consider orphan care. Caring for children who do not have mother and father. Consider the possibility, perhaps even as a, as a single woman, to get involved in children's ministry and serving children, pouring your life into this future generation of young people. And also... Seek spiritual children. The French reformer John Calvin, he married late in life to a woman who was widowed, Idolette. She had a child already. They weren't able to have biological children of their own. And so his the Roman Catholic detractors and enemies would mock him and say, you're cursed, you're not able to have children. Interestingly enough, they didn't say that about their own celibate priests, but John Calvin would respond, I have many children scattered all over the earth. What he meant by that was many spiritual children. 
but also for you women, again, who have children. Some of you may be pregnant right now and enduring the difficulties and challenges with that, whether it's that first third of the pregnancy where you're vomiting all the time and can't seem to hold down food and just regularly nauseous, or whether it's the, the last third of that, that, that pregnancy where you can barely breathe and there, you just can't quite seem to get comfortable. I want to tell you it's a good work. It's a good work. And in our anti-baby culture, anti-children culture, I want to refuse to bow down and say, God bless motherhood. And to say, continue in this good work. Pour your life into your commitment to your family, into your commitment to your children. They are the future generation. Do all that you can to teach them and to instruct them to impart wisdom to them, to impart the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I also want to encourage some of you mothers who don't have a father alongside of you. And you find yourself in the tension of trying to be both father and mother. And I understand we live in a fallen world and that's not the way you hope that it would be. But I want to tell you, you're doing a good work. Don't give up in it. Persevere in it for the glory of God. Also, mothers, in the midst of the weariness of it, again, I get it. It's the job that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Some of you mothers, your respite is a bathroom with a locked door. And sometimes it's, again, the temptation to just want to throw in the towel. Kids aren't obeying. Feel like you're breaking up bickering and fights all day long. Cherish these years. Enjoy being a mother. It won't last forever. Yesterday I got a text message from a pastor friend of mine who will be overseeing the funeral of a woman who's 22 years old, died in a car accident, has twins that are four years old and a two-year-old. Good friend, my wife and I, has terminal cancer. Is having to say goodbyes to her 15-year-old and her 10-year-old. Friends, enjoy being a mother. 
enjoy it. But not only commitment to family, commitment to fruitfulness, thirdly, as if we couldn't get any more controversial. Might as well keep pushing forward. A commitment to following. A commitment to following. What do I mean by that? Well, everything in this passage is the foundation for things that the Apostle Paul and Peter would say in the New Testament, namely, wives submit to your husbands. That there is an order and design in creation where in the family God designed husbands and fathers to be leaders in the home and wives to follow that leadership. And I understand this will not win me the presidency of the United States of America, but I ain't running. I am a pastor with an obligation to give to you God's holy word, which he has said and is transcendent above all cultures and time periods and language groups. And so what we see here, we see even in the order and the design of the creation, God giving leadership to Adam to lead and care for his wife. What do I mean by that? The order, it's, it's the wife, the woman, who's created out of man for the man. Not as a slave, not as a servant, but as an assistant, as we see here in our text, as a suitable helper. That the order of creation helps us to see the design of the creation. What do I mean by that? Again, Adam was created first, then Eve. Now, the writers of the New Testament, when they read this, they see the order as highlighting the design. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, it says, For the man does not originate from woman, but woman from the man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for man's sake. Or when Paul is giving instructions in the church that leadership is to be reserved for men in the church, he goes back to Genesis chapter 2. It says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, a woman must learn in quietness and in all submission. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For, here's the explanation, for Adam who was first formed, then Eve. So that the order of the creation gives the design of the creation that God designed in the family and in the church for a woman to take a following role and for the man to exercise responsibility in leadership. We also see this in the description of helper. Notice in chapter 2, in verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 20, and man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky 
and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. This word here, helper, a helper that's suitable, carries the idea of one who assists. It's a very strong word used for the help that God gives to people, which demonstrates the woman's essential role in aiding the man to fulfill his calling. Uh, one writer says, in one, uh, one way in which the woman will help in the fulfillment of the di- divine mandate to be fruitful and multiply is to be the one who will bear children. The importance of the role is seen when God specifically mentions it in giving the consequences of the curse. We already saw that, the pain in childbearing. And so the, the order and the design of the creation, the description of helper, also we see the headship of Adam throughout this passage. Did you notice when we go to Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6, we see Eve kind of leading the way in this conversation with the serpent and Adam following the leadership here, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But notice when it all comes down Who is God calling out in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 9 through 12? In Genesis 3, 9 says, Yahweh called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave to me from the tree and I ate. So notice, God is holding Adam responsible for this debacle. We see this also when we get to the New Testament, as Adam is not only a representative of his family unit, he's a representative of the entire human family unit. This is why we inherit corruption and guilt from Adam, because he's a representative One commentator says that the authority of man in the relationship is seen in the fact that Adam has a representative role in Genesis. The name Adam not only refers to the particular individual named Adam, but also has the generic sense of mankind. The actions of Adam affect those he represents so that when he fails, it affects his descendants. In Genesis 3, God holds Adam responsible for the sin of eating from the tree and by addressing him first, even though it was Eve who first partook of the fruit. And then also his headship is seen in his naming of the woman. We see this in the initial poetry. She shall be called Ish, for she was taken out of Isha. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then also later on in 3.20, when it says he names her Eve, the mother of all the living. This was part of how Adam exercised leadership in the garden, which again, the implication is that she was supposed to follow his leadership. And then one more, in case you still don't get it. In 3, 1 through 6, let's read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it, you shall not touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely, you will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. And so she took from its fruit and ate. And then this sobering line, and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. In other words, Moses records that all the while this was going on with Eve in this conversation with the serpent, Adam, instead of properly exercising his leadership as provider, as protector, and stepping in and say, hey Eve, let's get out of here. This is not what God said. He just stands there twiddling his thumbs. And Eve leads the way and leads humanity into destruction. And the Apostle Paul, again, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, when he's talking about the order within the church of men leading and women following, he says, uh, not only did God create the man first, but it was the woman who was deceived. In other words, he's saying, this is what happens when the roles are reversed. It leads to problems. Now, I know some of you may be sitting here thinking, wow, I just walked into an episode of Leave it to Beaver. What am I doing here? But, Again, in case you hadn't noticed, Western civilization has been conducting an experiment. An experiment to dethrone any vestige of Christianity influencing our culture. And it's left us with birthing persons. And so in the words of Dr. Phil McGraw, how's that working out for you? I think we can go back to the basics because it's either Christ and his word or chaos in the world. And that's what we're left with. Chaos in the world when we seek to think that we know more than the creator. In God's infinite wisdom, he designed women and he knows what's proper for them. Again, if you're thinking, think about... <clears throat> I've used this illustration before. Think about cars. Take a European sports car, a Ferrari, and try to drive it off-road. How's that going to work out? Not so good. Take a Jeep or a side-by-side -side or some vehicle that's been designed 
by its engineers for the purpose of driving off-road, driving huge bumps with the proper suspension, all that. How's it going to drive? A lot better than a Ferrari. But take that Ferrari on the road. Ooh, that baby cruises fast. In a similar way, God is the creator. He is the designer. When we thumb our nose up at him and act like we know more than the creator, we do so to our own peril and destruction. And the impoverishment of children and humanity. Well, someone else may object, well, what about abuse of authority? What about husbands who abuse their wives? Again, I have to say, well, you cannot throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater that it's washing in. Do some parents abuse their children, abuse their authority by doing wicked things to their children? Yes. Should we give up on the idea of parenting? Are civil governments often broken and corrupt? Yes. But should we give up on the idea of government, period? No. It's part of God's design, authority, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the family, is to be exercised as a kind of servant authority for the good of all those under their authority. Parenting is good for children when it's done properly. Leadership in the home is good for everybody when it's done properly. Someone may object, does this make women lesser beings than men? Subhuman. And again, I'll just say, are children subhuman because they're supposed to obey their parents? Are they aliens? Are they animals? No. They're humans. Yes, they take a subservient role in the relationship in the home and are to obey their parents in the Lord, but that doesn't make them subhuman. Also, is Jesus any less God because he submits to the Father? No. He's just as God as the Father, albeit with a human nature, but he also takes a submissive role in that relationship with the Father. And so, friend, I call you back to biblical principles of femininity. And again, my friend, when you abandon God and His Word, you do so to your own peril and destruction. And yes, I understand there's all kinds of problems in this world and dysfunction because of the reality of sin and rebellion. And friend, this is why God sent His champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth. To live a perfect life to lay his life down upon the cross, to rise from the dead and to offer full forgiveness for all of our rebellions, our rebellion chafing against what his word says in these unpopular areas, for our rebellion and our personal sins against him. And he's willing to forgive you of it all. But he also wants you to lay down your weapons of warfare and to say, God, I submit to you 
Your way is the best way. And so I commend all of us to submit our hearts to what God says in his word. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your ancient words which speak with clarity. We thank you for this ancient book of Genesis which lays down these principles that are elucidated and explained and commanded upon in the New Testament in the midst of a pagan culture, in a culture that was hostile to Christianity, you gave those directives. And so we live as well in a culture that is hostile to these realities. And we, we confess, Lord, we confess that we've not always practice these the way we ought to, that we've maybe given into worldly lies that have drawn us away from your better path. And so, Lord, put us on that better path for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.